Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Welcome to At The Source. Today our guest is Emma Kay, author, historian and founder of the Museum of Kitchenalia, a small independent museum located in the beautiful Cotswolds with a focus on the UK's culinary history. Emma's mission is to identify, preserve and interpret objects and ephemera specifically relating to the traditions and practices of the British kitchen, which sounded pretty good to us, so we got in touch. Emma has qualifications in history and conservation, heritage management and archaeology, and is the author of six books, including Dining with the Georgians, Dining with the Victorians, and the most recent, Stinking Bishops and Spotty Pigs, A History of Gloucestershire's Food and Drink. You'll also find articles she has written in BBC History Magazine, my favourite, and Times Literary Supplement. She has contributed historic food research for a number of television production companies and appeared in the BBC's The Best Christmas Food Ever, as well as being featured several times on Talk Radio Europe, BBC Hereford, and Worcestershire. That's a really long paragraph. A lot of things to fit in. (laughs) Wow. Alex, I think we may have possibly bitten off more than we can chew yet again, but we're extremely excited to have you here, Emma. Well, thanks for having us in your home. Um, Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for saying yes. (laughs) Yeah, as I was saying before we started recording, you're basically right at the crossroads of things that we love because we both love history and we both obviously love food. So um, talking about history and food is kind of, listeners, you're in for a long ride, I think. Um, But let's start off with the basics. What is your first memory of food? Um, First memory of food, I suppose, is my grandmother, which is fantastic, used to live kind of in a little granny flat next onto our house. So I kind of grew up uh, having our grandmother living with us, which is brilliant. So um, she always used to cook Sunday lunch for us. Or what we would do is start with like a salad. So the salad would always be fresh tongue and... um, (laughs) Yeah, fresh tongue. And uh, salad with peanuts, which I've actually never seen before. I've never seen since, actually. So the tongue and the peanuts in the one salad? No, tongue on the side, then kind of like a green salad right, okay. um, with uh, peanuts. And then we'd have like the roast. Uh, and then after that, there'd always be uh, always a steamed sponge pudding and uh, like a really thick, heavy chocolate cake, which really wish I, I'd got the recipe for. But I, I used to make it with her all the time. And uh, sadly, the recipe went with her because I, I, I never got it off her. And I can't actually remember. Mm. What I remember is making it with her. I don't actually remember what we used to kind of put in. But I've never had chocolate cake like, like that since, which is, which is a real shame. Also, she used to do homemade scotch eggs, oh. which were phenomenal. Hello. Absolutely phenomenal. She didn't have a fat fryer, so it was just like, you know, big sort of pan on the side, which she always had full of, you know, large that would just sit there open for weeks. Not particularly nice, but tasted great. <laughs> I was going to say, it just um, adds to the flavour. Absolutely. It sounds like a dream to me, yes. like lard, egg, <laughs> yeah. meat, I'm in. Yeah, they were great. So did she go with the hard yolk or a runny yolk? Hard, hard. Is a runny yolk a trendy new thing? Mm, I, I don't know. It, I think it possibly is, actually. Mm. A bit like quail's eggs now. Yeah. They do like mini, mini ones, don't mm. they? That's a lot of effort, isn't it, yeah. to make a mini scotch egg with quail's egg? Yeah, it's a bit fiddly. I have done it, actually. So yeah, but 
Also, my mother was a fantastic cook, and she was really into Middle Eastern food. Mm. So she used to make really unusual dishes with all kinds of, you know... I mean, she'd go out of her way to find, you know, exotic vegetables, and she'd stuff things with, you know, stuff lamb with rice and um, cumin and all sorts of things. She was always experimenting. And when I was a young teenager... Uh, my parents bought a house in Cyprus as well so kind of from about the age of 12 13 we used to go there a lot and experience fantastic separate food oh amazing Um, do you think that the fact that because I know you know even when I was growing up in Australia most of my friends were meat and two veg Mm -hmm. you know your your grandma was probably meat and two veg as well Mm, so and peanuts and peanuts (laughs) and tongue Um, but do you think that the fact that your mum was actually quite interested in food, is that had any kind of effect on you? And is that why today you now have this amazing collection and you're really into food? And I think food was very important. I think it was more important to me than most. When I talk to a lot of my friends or peers of my generation, um, I don't think food was that important. It was kind of like your sort of spaghetti bolognese, which wasn't probably at all no. or you know as you say meat and two veg or you know and it was the beginning of the supermarket wasn't it supermarket era mm. and so you were starting to get things like hot dogs coming in and unusual cheeses and people were writing books about travel and food and stuff like that um and I think so I think it was the 80s I suppose kind of like I'm a kind of child of, of the 80s so I think it was a, a real turning point mm. and and yeah I think Absolutely, I got a lot from my mum, and I and I don't think I appreciated it as much. But when I look back and, and look at the amount of time she used to spend on certain dishes, was just you know soaking everything in huge amounts of olive oil, and you know I, you know all sorts of you know like I just don't think there were probably many. I certainly didn't know any of my friends' mums that were doing that mm. at all. It yeah. was like, you know, fish fingers and beans or vegetable yeah. beans or that sort of thing. Mm. So I think it was quite, that was quite unusual. So I, I probably, yeah, I think that probably is where some of it lies. Also, I have to say, since I was about 14, um, I worked in a restaurant from the age of 14 to 22. So as I was studying and I was going backwards and forwards, to this little bistro in Dartmouth. So every university holiday or school holiday or whatever, I was working there. Probably shouldn't have been working at 14. But I think think a lot of kind of my generation, that's what they were doing, you Mm. know. And as long as your parents said it was okay, it was all right, Mm. you know. And so I started off washing dishes. Then I started doing prep. Then I started cooking, like, bits and pieces, waitressing at the same time. And actually what they wanted to do was train me up, you know, to work there. But I was kind of pulled by the history thing, so Mm. I went in that direction instead. Yeah, so I I guess that kind of food thing as a child and then into kind of teenage years, young adolescent, it's always been there, quite prominent in my life. So in that case, are we talking food first or history first? What was your first love? I guess it has to be food. It has to be, but not enough to to prevent me from going to university and not doing the catering mm. opportunity with, with, with the bistro, which I had, you know, in the palm mm. of my hand. So um, so I guess, even though, yeah, food was the greatest love, the, the real pull was the history, because my dad was a real academic and he was a real kind of history nerd and... 
you know, really into, you know, he thought everything rolled around the Romans and the Victorians, especially the Victorians. And, you know, we were dragged around everywhere as kids to museums from a very young age. And, you know, and my parents travelled a lot as well. So we had all those kind of opportunities. I mean, I, you know, I went to Morocco when I was 11. You know, that's kind of like a, a weird kind of thing then. And that was, mm. you know, what was that? That was very early 80s. So, you know, that is, uh, you know, and going to America, spent a lot of time in America and, you know, so kind of experiencing lots of different types of food. I think I was really blessed, actually. So, yeah, it's really hard to say. Such a, so interesting, actually, when you were saying, oh, do you think you, you're kind of like your, your mum influenced you? But I guess the food bit was from my mum and my grandmother and kind of the history bit was very much my dad. Uh, yeah, I was about to ask yeah. if that was sort of, you so, are the, the middle road between, yeah. between yeah, yeah. the two. So you went off to university and studied history. Which I did as well. Oh, did you? Um, And so at what point did you think, right, now I'm going to merge the two? Well, gosh, I mean, this is going back a bit. You know, I did my first degree quite a long time ago. Um, I did my first degree and then I did a postgraduate in Roman archaeology. And then I did an MA in heritage interpretation. And then I did conservation. Uh, And so it was kind of years after that that I started getting interested in food. What was the goal in, so going from, well, because I've, I've, I've done my undergrad and I've done my master's and yeah. the thought of doing any more makes me want to cry, but you obviously really like it. So mm. was, was there a goal in mind or were you just sort of like, I love this stuff. I just wanted to work in a museum. So throughout all my, uh, you know, throughout all my degree work and everything, as well as working in a bistro, working in Sainsbury's on night shifts and, uh, you know, travelling around everywhere. And, uh, uh, you know, I also volunteered in museums at the same time. So I was kind of all up, how I have the energy, actually, (laughs) when I look back at it and think Mm. all those things I was doing all at the same time and still managing to go out and have a good time. I must have just been permanently exhausted. Or just young, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's the young, young thing. Yeah. Because I remember what it was like doing my undergrad and also working crazy hours. Yeah. I'd be totally fine, but then I did my master's and I couldn't handle it. And I'm there and I was like falling asleep in my classes. And, oh. mm, yeah. I think it's when you hit 30. Um, I think, because this is slightly as an aside, but my hangovers are appalling now. And I used to be able to drink loads, not have. I can't drink. And it's now. the lack of sleep. The lack of sleep is worse than the alcohol. Mm. I mean, this is a total aside, but mm. that's what I think. Yeah. Anyway, just, no, I, I'm, you know. I'm with you. I mean, I really can't drink, to be honest. Now, very much. Um, sorry, but we're going on. <laughs> it's course. my fault. Right? <laughs> Talking about being old. So when you when you were younger and before you went to study, was there? A particular period in history for you that went oh I love this for me it was um I was massively obsessed as a kid with Greek mythology oh, okay. mm. so it was Tudors for me I think it was uh, the Egyptians oh uh, yeah. okay I really really wanted to be like a proper old-fashioned archaeologist yeah you know you kind of fell in love I think really I fell in love with all that you know um Oh, yeah. oh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, all of that kind of like I really kind of fell in love with all of that and really wanted to to, to kind of you know go to Egypt. Mm. And, uh, I can see you with a whip and a hat. Ah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, maybe like twenty years ago, not now. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, yeah, it was it was definitely Egyptology. But um, and the Romans, I think, just because my dad 
pushed the Romans and the Victorians a lot. Although, I, I, you know, I, Victorians a phenomenal era, but I do find it a little bit boring in the sense that because that's the nearest thing to to us in terms of history that a mm. lot of things it is all about the Victorian period and that's when all the big changes but actually a lot of those changes were happening well before that and the kind of Victorians got the credit for that yeah I, that's that's that was my that was my era my not my era my. <laughs> sometimes I feel like I was born in the wrong era so I can understand oh, that definitely. oh that's a good question oh yeah okay if you were born if you had to live in one era of history what would it be oh undoubtedly 1920s 30s oh that's exactly what I was gonna say mm. yeah. Mine as well. Yeah, yeah. just so glamorous. And, yeah. Oh, um, architecture. Yeah, art. women. Great things happening for oh, women. Yeah, you know, clothes. Wow. Oh yes, the yeah. clothes. Just clothes. Yeah. Everything. Free like. flow. Cocktails. Good music. Parties. Just. Well, if you had money. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're all assuming. Uh, yeah, we? if yeah. Let's but, be honest. If we moved to any period in time, it would only be if you've got money. Because yeah. I wouldn't want to be. Yeah, no. sure, you want to go into the Tudor period, but you wouldn't want to be there if you yeah. were just a peasant. No, absolutely yeah. not. No, right. Shall Good we point. bring this back round to um, the the first thing that we discovered about you? So when we first found out about you and started gently stalking you online okay which is your fantastic collection of yeah. kitchenalia yeah tell us a bit about that how it started how many pieces you've got the kind of stuff you have well yeah i've got around 600 objects just 600 around that uh, <laughs> I, I have i do actually this is the this is the museum professional in me i do document every single item so i i have a record a catalogue of everything with a with an image and so that i know i don't necessarily know where it all is <laughs> because it's, some of it's stored you know and some of it's on display i try and keep as much as i can on display yeah so oh, uh, where did it start what was the item that you bought and you thought, I can't leave this by itself alone on the shelf. I have to get something else to go with it. Well, that's a good question. Um, it, I didn't actually buy anything. I wasn't even particularly interested. Uh, it was a former boyfriend. And it was probably 15, 16, 17 odd years ago. Bought me a piece of... Actually bought me an entire set. Denby set. 1950s, the green wheat. Um, wow, that's love right there. This, Is that a piece that you've got? Yeah, on? that's not very... But yeah, you can see there's two, two little suit bowls there, and they're part of that set. Oh, so you can get some that. photos. Um, with every episode, we do a show notes, okay. so we can put some pictures up, and we yeah. can link people to, Great. to you. And okay, cool. Then they can find out what the green wheat looks yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of quite a popular range. Uh, so he bought me the entire set. So bits of it all over the place. Wow. And betweens and all sorts of things. So, and it, it was actually a bit of a turning point in my life as well, because that was the year that my mum died. So for some reason, I just decided to start collecting. And I kind of, that's when I was living in London still. And then I I moved and bought myself a little house here in the Cotswolds and I got a job at University of Bath. But underneath that, as, uh, alongside that, I started doing a bit of writing and I started exploring other areas of my own interests and things. And, and I just started you know, buying the odd thing here and there. And I guess I had my first, I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't my first house, my second house. So it was, I guess it's because I was buying things for the house. So I started to kind of, you know, and I was doing a bit of writing on the side, but creative writing working at the University of Bath met my now husband and I guess I just I moved in with him started collecting more and then it just kind of built up and built up and then 
Actually, I got together a little website of what I was doing, and it was about 2013, I suppose, it's not that long ago, that there was uh, one of the commissioning editors at Amberley noticed my website, got in contact with me and said, would you like to write a book? And that's your publishers? Yeah. Uh, well, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm with other publishers as well. I'm, right. At the moment, I'm writing two other books for a different publisher. And another one. I'm actually writing three books at the moment. Wow. Yeah, I know. So you you sleep never. That's about that's about right. <laughs> yeah, and I have a small child, so yeah, it's it's. Um, I feel like this is an ongoing theme with people that we meet. They do so yeah. much that actually I don't think they ever sleep. No. This is what I think it is: is that most of the people we speak to, it's either some, that what we're talking to them about is either their hobby or it's a career that they've kind of developed and grown later in life or it's just because they bloody love it mm. um, and so actually everyone we speak to is flat out busy all the time it's the same with us you know we both work full-time yeah and we're doing food blogging and podcasting along the side but yeah, yeah. I wouldn't change it no and it's I'm it's amazing that people allow us into their homes <laughs> they, they trust us off some emails and some twitter yeah. accounts and they're just like yeah come to strange to short women because you know we have all these questions to ask and there's only one way to ask them and that's coming to see you and I think it's great and that's that's kind of like the modern world now isn't it everyone's trying to do a little bit here and there and everyone's trying to do things a bit more online a bit more interactive stuff going on you know podcasts youtube channels you know it's it's kind of endless isn't it and and you can't really you know unless you're really really established you can't make huge amount of money out of things like that so you do have to do it until you become established and so on the subject of your books yeah the periods that you write about i mean this is broad the the thought of writing a book about victorian period like that's impossible list you you can't unless you want this thing to be multi-volume slash a meter thick um (laughs) how do you decide what your focus will be because even even narrowing that that down to food still doesn't make it much easier no i know and actually it's amazing because i will be kind of i will write a chapter on something and think this needs to be an entire book and i actually sometimes say that this doesn't this chapter doesn't do it justice this needs to be an entire book you know and so there's 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 so much to be written about the subject and not a lot of people are doing it you know it's uh, food history is still not recognized enough academically and it should be Agreed. it really should be in america it is you know which is fascinating because yeah. there's a hell of a lot more history here yeah there? exactly there is yeah. you've got to remember that most americans are just us mm. <laughs> and other european mm. settlers you know who bought uh, you know a lot of uh, english influences over there in terms of you know basic cooking skills and stuff mm-hmm. but i mean when i say us i mean <laughs> you, yeah of course europeans yeah, so I'm being inappropriate again. I can't remember what we're talking about. How you were choosing your focus for your books? Yeah, so a uh, lot of reading, lot of reading, lot of research. But that's, I guess that's, say, I don't want to say easy because it's not, but, you know, as an academic, that's straightforward. Part of it, yeah. Yeah, well, obviously, before you even get to the point of writing a book, you have to submit a proposal. You do for every book, every publisher does. And within that proposal, you will list the chapters and a brief summary about the ideas that you have for each chapter, what they should focus on. And then, and if they're, if they're happy with that, uh, you then kind of take that forward. But I have to say, often... When you do do that, I do all the time, then you digress and then you, you will stick to those chapters roughly, mm. but then they also morph into something else. 
uh, as you're going along and you're doing more and more research. And the thing is that I use lots of different sources. So I use books, I use newspaper archives a lot, not just British newspaper archives, um, Australian ones, American ones. Um, uh, you know, I use British library archives, I medieval archives I use all kinds of things and the beauty of it is so much of it is online now mm. you know some things you obviously have to pay access for quite a lot of time if you had yeah, to go yeah. to London or if you had to go to specific archives well, well if you want something specific then usually you can get it sent or you can get a copy you know or you can find out a bit more for a phone call it's you can do most things from your home these days you know and I've had to I've had to do that I mean mm. my son has additional needs as well so it's it's not like I can sort of he can be left all the time yeah. you know he's at school but uh you know he he has those needs which are you know need to be Absolutely. met and uh but then it's amazing that you can do this from home so that you can do both yeah yeah you know without the sleep obviously as we've talked yeah. about but no it's great the... but I'm, I'm also finally saying that I'm also finding like the last book that I wrote so I actually I've been out and about talking to people so that's because it's about this area, though. Yeah, yeah, yes, but I never, but nah, I, I, but no. I can't, I don't really want to talk to you about what I'm doing with the other publisher at the moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, they are both incredible subject areas, but enormous as well. And they will, I mean, that book, you're looking, at, you're looking at something about five times the size of that for wow. two of the books that I'm writing. Wow. So we'll see you in about three years. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, possibly. But um, so, but I'm doing a lot of interviews. I'm going out and about visiting places, talking to people, finding people online who, you know, who are uh, want to engage and give their stories and things like that. And I'm finding that's a really great way to um, write now. Mm. So, um, and, and I'm lucky enough that my husband takes all, all the photographs as well, so he, he will come with me. And... Do you prefer talking to people versus, you know, going through all the archives, or is there kind of not it's apples and oranges? I like a bit of both, really. I love, I, I mean, there's the historian in me, I just, I, I could spend day after day after day after day going through books and archives and never get tired of it at all because I always come across like an, another little interesting nugget and then that takes you somewhere else, mm, yeah. somewhere else takes down the rabbit hole yeah it's fantastic but um, I think it's important to bring something else to a book and I've learned such a lot from my first book mm. such a lot I mean things that you know the, the, this latest book is completely different and I think it's fantastic and I know my publishers are really really pleased with it because it's just got it's just got another layer to it which you know rather than just kind of talking about the historical elements it's got a whole other layer to it which and is that's because I'm, you actually went yeah. out and spoke to yeah people. so that's what yeah. I'm going to weave into all my books now I think that's really important how much do you like the actual recreation of you know because I'm assuming that you're going to go through recipes because I don't know I feel like if you don't if you don't cook some of the things that you're writing about you can't really grasp it I guess so how much do you like to cook yeah, yeah, I love the, to cook the historical. Oh, I love to dishes and items that you write about. Yeah, I love to. I mean, I you know I've done quite a lot of that, and it's it's good. But I like to be on my own. I need real peace and quiet. You know, I don't want children. Don't want husbands. I don't. You know, it's kind of like it's a long process because uh, when you're doing old recipes, you know, I mean, a lot is left to the imagination, mm. especially mm. really old recipes. Yeah. You know, it's just ridiculous. There's no temperatures, there's no timings, there's no... It's just like, this in, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's... 
you've just got to try and create something from nothing really. I quite like the sound of that, it's quite a challenge. Mm. Do you um, use any of the things that you've collected? Yeah, sometimes. Especially if I'm like if I'm if I'm doing a talk and I'm doing a demo, then I will always try it out first and I'll always use the objects and get people to come up and use it. And they love that. They love coming and using the objects themselves. That's fantastic. And sorry, I'm totally talking over you, Karis, but I'm getting this out. Because one of the things you mentioned before we, we switched the recorder on was that, you know, being in museums, obviously you can't always touch everything. Yeah, you can't. I was going to ask. Yeah, was that we? Um, yeah. So I um, briefly volunteered for the National Trust, oh, a right. property up in Derbyshire, which is near where I'm from. And yeah. my favourite stint was always the kitchen. And But, everything, you know, you stand there and I'd be like, when there was no... I'd, I don't do it anymore, so I think this is fine, maybe. <laughs> you know, there's no visitors in and you're kind of like looking over the rope at something and like might just prod that which yeah. I know you shouldn't but I think that's one thing that struck me is the fact that you you use these things yeah. and you know of course we have to preserve history and we have to make sure that these things stay for future generations but yeah. how fantastic that you're yeah. actually having a go with that old yeah. Victorian bean slice yeah, and all definitely. The I, love it. I love it how does the conservator and you feel about this uh, I used to bit, be oh good question no that's yeah. a really interesting question and I have to say that I used to be really self-conscious about it, and I'd have my old museum head on mm. quite a lot, thinking I'd, you know, and I'd go, do I really wrap everything up, and you know, special acid-free tissue, and you know, keep everything very precious. And, and I was just like, stuff this. What's the point of having all these amazing things? You can't take it with you. Yeah, and presumably there are things that you have here that aren't rare, or that there are mm. the, the things that you use. Mm. There, oh, there not are things I use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I do have some. Amazing, but if there's pieces, things that you have that there are plenty oh, yeah. of examples oh, yeah, like, of, then like, you should use. Yeah, them. I do have like um, um, a very uh, early papier mache tray, which is very early 1800s, possibly before, wow. and it's 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 really falling apart. So that I keep nicely, mm. of course. And you know, there are certain you just common sense. Mm. It's common sense, isn't it? Mm. If something is fragile and vulnerable then, you know, you keep it safe. But there are things that, you know, they don't necessarily need to do that. You know, containers for things. I don't like that herb, you know, that herb box up there. I mean, I use that, get that out all the time. It's Which one is that? This the, the, white... the, 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 the big container. Can you see the big metal container? Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. That's kind of late Victorian. And uh, so that's for herbs and spices. And, you know, and I often keep things in it, mm. you know. And it's not going to hurt it, is it? It's not going to hurt it. That's what it was made for. You know, things that are precious, like china and glass, you know, and a lot of wooden things, you've got to be careful. I've got an awful lot of wooden moulds, beautiful pastillage moulds, you mm. know, to, um, to make confection with and things like that, that are quite precious. But what I do is I just put, like, a light dusting of either flour or icing sugar or I oil them, you know, take a bit of time over, you know, how you keep them and stuff. And they're absolutely fine. But it does annoy me that... But, but you're right, I, I do have two heads. There is that sense of things need to be maintained and preserved and kept, but no, you know, use them as well. So, yeah, I, I think it's... And I, I, and I guess the other thing is, is I'm in a position to do that because I, I do feel that I'm experienced and I know enough about yeah. what can be used and what shouldn't be used. But also it's your collection. Exactly. So, and it's your collection, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm um, speaking of, how can people see your collection? Or can they? 
Uh, well, I don't, I mean, I don't actually, I mean, I take it out. Uh, so I do a few talks and things like that and a few demos. I'm exploring a new area. You know, I'm going to be running a course in May. Haven't really had time to do much PR for it yet. But I'm just going to see how it goes. You know, there's been a lot of interest, but... have experience, people always book at the last minute. Yeah, and I haven't actually had a chance. And there will be a cut-off booking time because... You know, there is so much to prepare for something like that and so many resources that need to be brought in. So, you know, because when I do something, I really do it properly. Yeah. Um, what would the course entail? Because I'm sure there'll be a few people listening to this that might be interested. Well, this one will be on baking. So you'd be looking at various aspects of baking. So you'd be looking at uh, Victorian baking. You'd be looking at... <laughs> There's two. <laughs> two bookings. <laughs> you'd probably be looking at elements of, you know, kind of post-war as well. But, um, yeah, I've got some objects that, you know, like I've got an old baking oven, a cast iron baking oven. Wow. And, you know, there's... You know, all kinds of things. We'll be doing all kinds of things and learning how, you know, uh, to work with early yeasts and, you know, that all kinds of, good. yeah, all sorts of things will be involved with it. it yeah, it's it's very early and we'll see see what happens. That'll be one way of opening things up a bit with the collection. What um, a way as well that people can come and actually work with them. Yeah. I love it. I'm, yeah, definitely. You know, within, you know, within reason mm. and uh, I definitely have as many things as I can around for people to, you know, to work with. And you I have some really fun. cool things here. So we're sat in your dining room and yeah. um, when we arrived and you went off to make us a cup of tea, we were kind of having a look. So you've got a, a marmalade cutter. What is Yeah, well what done. What does that do? Oh, that, I read, I read it. Yeah. <laughs> right. said it on the side. We're not that good. <laughs> That's just like the, the, so you use the peel of the orange and you dry it and then you just kind of. And you just whiz it around. Yeah, yeah, whiz it around. And then, yeah. and then there's a Victorian, yeah. there's a Victorian butter churn. Yeah. Um, there's some lovely there's at least one lovely jelly mould up there yeah there's a few moulds there's a big uh, there's a big trough there that we'd use in in the workshop uh, in the course so that's that's fantastic that's an old Victorian bread trough yeah amazing um yeah, What's this so, thing here where you've got a jar with a, a is that like a mixing oh, no, book or no that's a cheese press it's quite that's a modern cheese press but the actual uh, mold cheese mold is an old French one. Oh, okay. So, um, and that's uh, kind of a 1930s butter churn. That's so that's like a kind of glass jar with a, a, a paddles. We can, yeah. we paddles can get some photos. I think yeah. that'd be the best way. And that behind is a Victorian um, bread peel. So, so that's what you'd use to take to put the bread in and out of the oven. oven. Yeah. Okay. Here's a question. So you have over 600 items. About that. Do you have a favourite? <laughs> Oh, it's the worst this. question, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, the worst. Actually. You can take you you you've got to run. You got grab one thing. Obviously, your husband's got your child, so that's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you grabbing when you when you're running? I think I've already mentioned it, but it would probably be the tea tray, the papier mâché tea tray, and also I have two beautiful um, glass rolling pins. Oh, from the, from the Bristol Nailsy glass factory. Oh, um, that's really cool. And yeah. there's some amazing stories about the old glass rolling pins. I don't know if you know, but I mean, the, the ones I've got are painted as well. 
I've so, never heard of so that. So you never even want to so use them if they were painted. Again, they're early 1800s. Well, they're not meant to be used. They, uh, the, they did sort of uh, during sort of 1940s, 50s. People w- would use glass. My grandmother had a glass rolling pin, which it seems crazy now. But what they yeah. used to do is fill the ends with um, uh, cold water, so it would help the pastry. You see? Why yes. Aren't, why aren't we doing that now? That's that's well, you know filling them with something to keep it cool. Yeah, yeah. but the the original purpose of these rolling pins, uh, which were often in sale, uh, they sell at the ports, big port cities and towns, which is why Bristol. Bristol is not just about the rolling pins. Nailsey was a massive factory, the glass factory there. But they kind of specialised in these in these beautiful patterned rolling pins because the sailors would come into port and buy them for their sweethearts. Uh, and they were considered to be very kind of they're very superstitious so they would they would often um come with ribbons they'd be hung up and 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 hung up in the house and if it fell down and broke it would say the sailor would never come return again wow it's quite dark Uh, yeah (laughs) but also the sailors had another uh they had a, a a dual purpose for them so they were also carried on board ship to bring good luck but they would when they went uh overseas they would smuggle back rum inside the glass. Oh, there's yeah. always an alternative, <laughs> and it's not always romance. Let's be honest. So, so, so I do have two beautiful coloured glass rolling pins. I guess I'd probably have two. That's technically see. three things, but yeah, we'll let you know. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you could put the rolling pins on the tray and then run out. Yeah. yeah. But probably when you go, I'll probably say, oh no, and there was no, that's not that. Oh, there's too many beautiful yeah. things. Yeah. We have now run out of time. That has wow. flown by. I, I feel like we started this conversation five minutes ago oh, okay. and we... We've literally not asked half the questions on the list. Oh, no. Sorry, <laughs> that's me. I probably waffled too much. No, no but if you were waffling, would have edged in there to find a way, but it just it's just too interesting to stop. <laughs> well, there's, you know, and, and every object kind of has a story as well, so it's it's, you know... Yeah, I could just go on and on and on. We could do the extended edition. <laughs> Thanks. Now, take us through every episode <laughs> and tell us the story. You might be asleep after yeah. a while. Well, we oh, will. No, that's, that's, at least two, that, that's at least two years of a weekly podcast. So, yeah, if you're interested. Okay. Like a, sub, a sub podcast. You should start a podcast where... Every, and I want commission for this. Yeah, every like week, ten minute episodes. Yeah, every week. Yeah, I had thought about doing a podcast actually. But you could talk about the story of each item in your collection. Well, I've actually, it's interesting you say that because I am going to be doing something else, but it's top secret. It's not a podcast, but it's yeah, it's it will. Hopefully it's something we'll else that something else I'm working on on, you know, on top of everything else. But yeah, right. the list is never ending. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for having mm. us in your home. It's been amazing, Thank and you. we love to see and seeing all the little things you've got sitting behind us if you loved this episode uh we would love if you could break the podcast five stars so more people can hear it you'll find us on itunes spotify stitcher and soundcloud and if you like this episode you'll find other episodes that you'll probably like just as much uh if you visit at the source.com or look us up on any of those platforms you can also follow us on twitter at the source and talk to us about your food stories over and out <laughs>